Episode 245, Lauren Petrullo, founder and CEO of Mongoose Media. We fail all the time. And the biggest is like, well, again, why we want to celebrate the failures? Because that could have been way worse. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Lauren and her company, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake245. Please rate and review the podcast if you have a minute, but most importantly, thank you for taking time to listen now on with the show. Our guest today is Lauren Petrullo. She's an award-winning marketing expert, digital marketing and e-commerce consultant, and successful founder of multiple companies. Um, Lauren says she's overcome great adversity from a young age, and she lives by the FAIL method, F-A-I-L. I'm going to ask her about that in a second. Um, with her team at Mongoose Media, or her, her packmates, as, uh, as she calls them. So before I tell you a little bit more, um, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, first question then, real quick, what, what does F-A-I-L stand for there in, in the bio? Yeah, first attempt in learning. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And so if you're not failing, you're not learning. So it's a really big principle in our company, like literally like we celebrate failing and even the second attempt sailing through, but like thrail isn't a word. So if it's a third attempt in learning, like we need to reevaluate something. Well, we'll talk about that more for sure. Lauren is absolutely in the right place. So she's <laughs> demonstrating here to be on my favorite mistake. Um, Lauren is CEO and founder of uh, an award-winning marketing agency, Mongoose Media. She's the founder of the boutique e-commerce store, Asian Beauty Essentials, and she's chief marketing officer of an eco-conscious baby swimwear company, Bow and Bell Littles. She's also co-founder of the chatbot service, Bot Blondes. How, how do you know a bot is blonde, by the way? Or like, I'm not trying to tell a joke. I'm trying to ask why, why it's No, that's blonde. fair. That's funny. It's myself and two other blondes. Uh, we were building chat messenger services for individuals and all three of us were blondes. So we were the bot blondes and uh, it was a lot of fun making puns related to our blondness. <laughs> so it's the founders, not not the bots. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so Lauren is a former innovation producer at the Walt Disney Company. So she gets to incorporate her background in innovation and design to help infuse creativity and play into all of her marketing strategies. I think we're going to have creativity and play here in the episode, right? Oh, for sure. So Lauren, uh, I've already asked you a couple of questions, but the first question we normally get to, I guess this is now the third question, you know, the different things that you've done, the different companies you've founded and worked in, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Uh, well, this was actually um, in an introduction Events. So my favorite mistake was uh, trying to be creative and playful without um, remembering who I am kind of situation. So I was like, hey, let's have fun. Let's be memorable. Um, and then I forgot to like actually remind people who I am. So essentially, um, I went to this conference 
It was my first time at a marketing conference by myself. This was my first emergence into the world of marketing as Mongoose Media Founder. And every time we did the introduction, I didn't want to be boring. Hi, I'm Lauren. I am the founder of Mongoose Media. And said I kept changing it and making it up. And so I was a chief plumbing officer. I was like a tromboner specialist. I was all these different jobs. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's so great to meet you. This is so amazing. I've never met a chief plumbing yeah. officer before. I was like, oh yeah, like I'm in charge of these entire real estate offices. Like I manage over 600 toilets. I was just having fun improvising almost and then uh, made really great connections. And then the next year, people kept looking for me. They're like, where's that plumbing girl? Where's that dog walker that is also like um, a telepath? Like all these different things. And they couldn't find me. And I was like, uh, I'm Lauren, the founder of Mongoose Media. Here's who I actually am. They're like, okay, now I can be friends with you. Now I can email you. Now I can find you on socials. So I was like, yes. Sorry. So I was memorable, but no one knew who I was. I was that memorable that they forgot who I actually am. Wow. Wow. So how did, I mean, how, when you say people are looking for you, like, was this where, where there's an app or a website where people could, you know, try to find people yeah. they know and plan how to meet up and reconnect? Yeah. So after this marketing conference, there were like big WhatsApp groups and stuff. And then there was, of course, Instagram and all of those kind of channels. And I had several people come up to me saying that, hey, I was trying to find you. We we're trying to include you in these events. Like there were some like get togethers and some organizations. And because I hadn't, I mean, I also didn't have a business card I was passing out. Um, they were like, I couldn't find you. And when I would ask people, where's the plumbing blonde? <laughs> no one knew who I was talking about because I told everyone different, different things. So, I mean, do, the, that that spirit of fun or trying to mix it up, like, do you, it part, is part of your background, like improv comedy or you... You, you 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 like to have fun or or to be funny. It seems that was just uh, kind of an instinct or some training or both. I've only just started improv, so I'm actually in my second class of improv ever. And um, so it wasn't in the background before. But I grew up with all brothers, and uh, it can be pretty boring when they're talking about less exciting stuff all the time. Uh, but so it was just like naturally a part of something that I was doing growing up. And um, I think just when, with my time at Disney, it was always about infusing pl play wherever we can. And a lot of the projects I would work on were with higher level executives, were with individuals that um, were spanning so much history within the Walt Disney Company that these were large execs, new admin team members, cruise ship directors, that having the play helped even out the playing field a lot. So it wasn't just like paycheck parade of conversations. So I think that's just like, I did that at Disney and I, I found it a really great way to break the ice and get to know each other. So I carried it through, um, but I carried it through so well that I, like I said, I, I left memorable impressions, but they had forgotten who I was. I mean, at least that second year, at some point along the way there, you got the gift of feedback. If yeah. You, like some it's possible you might not have even discovered you had made the mistake. You might've kept repeating it. If, if someone didn't help close the loop with you. Very true. Very true. Um, so the second year, because people were able to close the loop with it, um, it was really helpful for me to um, start, take that to the next level. So a really good friend of mine, Paul Barron, he and I then changed it to be uh, level two of 
instead of us making up a job, he came into it and we started making up different ways that we met each other. It's like, oh yeah, Paul and I, like he's the, he's the founder of Bow and Bell Littles. Let me tell you about how we met. And so we kept what our title was and we kept what our jobs were. But then we changed just how we met of each other's stories. And then that was still a lot of fun because he would give me a seed or I'd give him a seed and then he'd have to make it up on the spot. So it's just be like, oh, um, he saved me on a trip in, in Mount Kilimanjaro. I had sprained my ankle and I was about to be left. And so he offered to give me a piggyback ride. But I had said, oh, if you're giving me a piggyback ride, I took on an extra two backpacks. So he was carrying me plus two backpacks. Anyways, we kept doing all these different things. So it was still the joy of um, play and like unanticipated events. But this time, like we at least correct name, correct job, just a fun, fake way of how we introduce each other. And then we told people this was fake and we made this like a scoring thing. So I'm like, okay, Mark. All of that is not true. Who we are is very true, but how we met is not the case. On a scale of one to 10, how funny was that story? Because we're competing. And then we would make each time we have an event, who was the winner? We take an average of the scores. So you're having fun with these details that really weren't going to cause a problem then with people knowing or being able to find you. Yeah. 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 In the future. But it sounds like what you were doing there. I mean, I've never taken an improv class. I've talked to a lot of people who have, when you were going back and forth with that stories, was there some of that improv rule of like the yes and of, uh, kind of always having to go along, build on the story? Right? I've learned that since. So I, I've taken improv class now for two months and this is four or five years ago. So yeah, there's definitely that yes and, and essentially like you give someone an offer and then you take the offer and run with it. So we would, I'd offer and I'd say like, for example, oh, like we were in this big jazz competition and someone had like ruined my reads. <laughs> and Paul came in and saved the day. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Someone trashed all these bamboo reads that they were all using. So I went to the store and grabbed it. So like he took the offer and ran with it. We just didn't have the background or training. But since learning about some of those principles that allow someone to be successful in improv, I'm like, oh, thanks, mom and dad, for having a competitive environment in the household. So that you're you're an intuitive imp uh, improver. Now the class is kind of solidifying some things you seem to have an instinct for. <laughs> for some things, yes. For other things, it's solidifying. I don't have an instinct for. But <laughs> well, so are you? Do you feel like? Uh, let me ask about mistakes. Then I mean, hmm. are there mistakes in improv, or do you feel like like oh, I made a mistake there, or or what, what's the the attitude, or how do they? To, to, how do they teach you to think about or deal with mistakes in the improv class? I love that we're talking about this because I was, I'm taking improv because my friends say in marketing, it's like a really great way to be more creative and to explore these opportunities. Cause like, what is a mistake in improv? The only mistake you can make in improv is rescinding your offer. Mm. So if you're like wishy-washy or you lack the confidence in what you're putting out there, you're setting up your other partner for failure. And that's so true in all other aspects too, of like with marketing campaigns or even just communication in general. If you invite someone to a date and then you're like, hey, do you want Chinese? Oh, okay. Um, well, we don't have to get Chinese. You're like, but what? It's um, totally adaptable principles everywhere else. But in theory, it's the only mistake you can make is rescinding an offer. Um, or uh, if and when 
you are unaware of the age maturity of the show. So there's like certain shows that are 16 plus. I'll throw that in for good measure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, we're joined today, Lauren Petrullo of the different companies um, she has founded. One of them is Mongoose Media. Um, I, I like to ask the story behind the name. Are there fun made up stories about why it's Mongoose Media? <laughs> Um, it's not a fun made of story. I mean, it's, it's, I like it. My, uh, one of my brothers, Brendan, uh, had told me, so I had been in a previous employment where I found myself no longer in their employment. And, um, some of the, uh, sales techniques and the industry that they were in, uh, was something like people would make relations to it being snake oil salesmen. And that it's just a very specific industry that has, uh, tons of bad press and, uh, being in this no longer employed situation, I felt a little bit down on myself. And I was like, all right, well, I don't want to like apply for jobs. So I'm just going to make my own job. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the job application process. Um, and I told my brother, like I was thinking of Goldilocks marketing because it's just fits right. Right. Not too strong, not too small. Um, and he said, that's dumb. <laughs> so when my brother had said like, that's a dumb idea, you need to take on something stronger. You're coming against these like lions, these behemoths of marketing agencies. Like I'm in Orlando, we have Disney and Universal and the amount of qualified talent for marketing agencies is so right. He said, you need to have something that's stronger. And he said, mongoose can take on two snakes at a time. It can take on a lion and it's a small little titan of an animal. Uh, that can take on these really big projects. Thus, Mongoose Media was born. So is the mongoose tougher than the honey badger? Or is that not, I mean, that would that, that might be overdone. I wonder if people are naming companies after the honey badger. Um, I think the honey badger lost his trend. Uh, but also we were going for the alliteration of it. Um, if we go based off of like size, a mongoose is definitely smaller than a honey badger. So the, the toughness per pound ratio is strong yeah. Mongoose. Yeah, now I'm thinking I should have been like the ant because they can carry like some ridiculous size times their weight. And so it, we, we talk about pack mates. Is that is that the term uh, for a group of, is it mongoose? Like that gets complicated. Is it a pack of mongoose or? A pack of mongoose is like, like, you know, you have a flock of, flam- or no, a flamboyant of flamingos, a murder of crows. You have a pack of mongoose. And mongoose is the plural. I, did I make a mistake in assuming the plural is mongoose? You know, if you look up multiple sources, say it's mongoose and mongoose. Yeah. I just, I have a lip where it comes out. So I don't say mongoose because it's like, it runs the risk. But yeah, like the mongoose. English is such like a fun language because octopi, octopus, but moose and mice. Well, and there's some who say octopi isn't actually correct, that octopuses. There's debate about that or different sources. Maybe so many sources are wrong. I'm not I sure. I don't why. trust too much I read on the internet anymore. And I'm like, there's all these like TikTok videos that will talk about these pieces. And I just go based off of what I've heard on Disney's Animal Kingdom um, Animal Trek. And they'll be like, oh, look, a flamboyant of flamingos. I was like, that's the best group name after a murder of crows. That's a that's a good one. That's a good one for sure. So, Lauren, within the, the within the culture of mongoose media, tell us more about celebrating failures, or even as as the founder and CEO, um, admitting mistakes, talking to your team about mistakes. Can can you talk about some of that dynamic? I know I kind of blurred a couple of questions together there. 
but that's fine. Um, as the founder and stuff, I like to set the tone at the very beginning of even in our hiring process. Um, so we'll get a lot of enthusiastic individuals um, keen to join our pack. Um, and I just have to make sure that we're transparent throughout. And I'm like, hey, look, you know, this may be something you're new to, or at least our client type or our specific marketing campaign approach is new to you. But like, we expect you to fail. We want you to fail because you'll make mistakes and I'm definitely going to make mistakes. So as the leader, like, I want you to have grace for me when I make mistakes, because I'm going to definitely have grace for you when you make those mistakes. So we do a lot of tone setting in the beginning. Um, and when we do celebrate the failures, like we have our own fail, fa fail channel on Slack. So if it's like, oh, hey, like I uploaded this video onto YouTube and it generated a lot of attention, but I had listed for members only. And so it's like, okay, cool. First time I ever uploaded a long form video, I got this. This is what I learned from it. And it's like, amazing. You know, I'm owning up to the mistakes and we want to celebrate that like significantly because it's way easier to not admit your mistake and then keep making the same mistake. Um, so in the interview process, like in our every Friday, we have a meeting where we review ClickUp or we meet team members. We'll talk about some of the biggest failures that we had for the week. Um, and part of that just comes from the, the philosophy that like, if you're going to make the mistake, we'll learn way more from it than if we don't make the mistake and just keep assuming that it's correct. Um, so that's just been something that's been really, really helpful for us. And um, that grace period as well for others has allowed us to have retention for a lot of our pack members that have been with us for over five years. Well, I mean, imagine once they're in that kind of culture, it would be hard to imagine going back. Like if they've worked other places, they can mm -hmm. probably see a pretty clear difference in your leadership mindsets and what they might have experienced before. Possibly. Like, um, I'm sure it's different. We have individuals uh, from five different continents. So there's also the uh, interweaving of cultural, geographical language differences that we can embrace and accept and accelerate like and grow because the diversity of thought allows us to provide more unique perspectives to make an even better campaign. A lot of our marketing is to the United States, which has such a smorgasbord of people from all walks of life um, that it's become a really great asset for us. And so I have heard, especially from foreigner team members, that that is not the standard or the generic assumption of what they have experienced on their cases. I can't speak for everyone at large, um, but it, at least for my style, it's helped me a lot because if I look at back to who I was when I first started to who I am now, like, oh gosh, wow, I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and they, they equally gave me the grace to become a better leader. I mean, like you said, yeah, like you said, I mean, I've ended up saying this a lot. We all make mistakes. What matters is learning from them. Mm -hmm. Or I've heard other people say like, you know, making mistakes is not a choice, but learning from them is a choice mm. or leading in a way that creates the environment where people can learn. I, I really appreciate it. I love hearing about how like intentional you are about creating that and encouraging. Yeah, thanks. Well, I mean, I think there's three, three categories that people can fall into when they make mistakes. And the fewest number of people that will own up to their mistake proactively and bring attention to it and then solve for it is such a small minority that I try to make that the larger majority within the team because most people will fall into the other two. Um, they found out they made a mistake and they never bring it up. 
or they found out they made a mistake and someone else found out to it, then they'll apologize for it afterwards. So it's never apologize, apologize after or proactively call themselves out. And I just want to be in a position because that's how I want to be treated. I know that's how our clients want to be treated. Um, and, you know, of course, mistakes happen. Maybe a campaign budget had uh, added an extra zero for two days or a phone number was changed because we were using an outdated software or previous software the client's no longer using. And we didn't evaluate all 600 ads that were running at the moment. So in that same vein, like we just want to preemptively say like, oh, hey, yep, you're right. We do need to change that number. Or, hey, we were evaluating some of the emails that have been previously set up. And in this proactive stuff, like we want to get some clarification. And uh, before we make any changes, is this the correct workshop format or masterclass format? Um, so that, you know, we, we assumed they were all correct before. That was probably incorrect. Let's call it out now um, and have discourse together in a way that's proactive for the bottom line. So going back to what, what you, you said, Lauren, about categories of people, like how, how much of a factor is it do you think of like interviewing and and selecting people with some of those characteristics during the hiring process mm. and or the way you explain the culture and the mindsets and the expectations and you know kind of set them up as they start at Mongoose Media. Um so I mean it, our interview process at Mongoose Media is um Entertaining to say the least. We already know that I introduce myself in a wacky way, especially with my friend Paul, uh, where we'll have like playoff or like when I introduce myself in funny ways. And then I was so memorable that they forgot who I actually was. Um, we have a, a process where if you're interested in a position that you have to send a 59 second or less video, if the video follows instructions, you tell us like, what's your favorite? Who would, you, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? If you pass that, then we invite you to an interview. The interview happens on our virtual office in our interview island. So we have this whole virtual office. Everyone has their own desk. We're all sitting in there. We can walk over to each other's desk. It's like a, uh, a video game, a real life video game. And we give them this poem of how they can find how to get to Interview Island. They have at least four full days to find Interview Island. And we're very explicit. If you are late, if for some reason your camera or sound is not working, if any of that is not perfect, the second your interview starts, you'll automatically be disqualified. Mm. <laughs> and so with that, we tell them like, hey, you know, like find the treasure map. It's exactly where you think it is. Anyone that's listening and is applying, spoiler alert, it's in the it's in the pirate room, right? There's a treasure chest and a map in the pirate room. You go interact with that and it tells you how to get to interview Island. Um, and so what's been really great is we can see people moving around inside the office looking for interview Island. We know that they're in the office early. It's, we're trying to give the best simulation to an in-person interview. Like you go to the building 15 minutes early, find the door, which office do you get into? Um, and the communication that they have before they even start it sets the tone of failure. Like we don't give them any restrictions. Some people will go ask some of the pack members, Hey, can you help me with this? Can I confirm that my microphone is on things of that nature? And it's like, Oh, Hey, it's not, let me help you. It's okay. You failed on independently. Um, but part of that is just communication that's increasing. Um, and owning up to, I don't know how to do this. Would you help me? 
So in our interview process, at least, we do bring that to the table. But we also say very clearly, if you are late, if your technology is not set up for success, like that's the only fail we don't give a second attempt on. So um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about some of the mindset around mistakes, you know, we all make mistakes. You gave some examples here of adding a zero at the end of a, a budget limit for let's say some online advertising that could be costly in, you know, in the short term. Um, like one, one thing I think is, you know, interesting to figure out is how do we learn early from a small mistake to prevent a large catastrophic mistake? Like what, um, what, what are you, because I would say, you know, all mistakes aren't created equally. Like if somebody put a couple of extra zeros at the end ah. of a budget or like, can, can, do you have any stories or experiences or, or even more broadly thoughts about using small mistakes to prevent big ones? Sure. So um, things like in marketing, there's a lot of legal elements that go into it and proactive, you know, like you can invest 25 cents a day to save $10 tomorrow. Um, we have, incorporated a stronger SOP structure. Um, and we have checklists where if we find something that could have been a bigger error, we immediately make an SOP checklist. So now that library has grown significantly um, because, you know, we fail all the time. And the biggest is like, again, why we want to celebrate the failures? Because that could have been way worse. That like it could have been, like adding a zero and catching it three days later. So we spent five hundred a day instead of fifty dollars a day. Like yeah, that short term, like you said, that's we have almost like a month's worth of budget spent in three days. But imagine if we hadn't seen it for two weeks, we would have blown a larger spend in the campaign so that we can set those in. And so now in that use case, we have someone double check every campaign before it goes live, so that we have a check and balance this system in place. But I will say that that's um, unique for us, at least of our size, right? We work with over 30 PAC members. We have a large array of clients and we're in a place where we have a QA team. Like we have QA processes in place. When you're a solopreneur or you're a team of under five, like you, the owner are the QA person. And that can be a lot because you have so many things flying at you. So having that QA um, opportunity in place is something we're really fortunate to have that we've been able to expand. Um, and I know that for us that the next iteration is we would just have a dedicated QA team versus what we have as a backup for everyone. Because also that was something that we found without those SOPs in place, if someone was absent like and not documenting it, that information retained inside their head. And if they were on vacation, those steps easily could get missed because that was something they learned not as a team. So having this fail channel, everyone could be like, oh yeah, hey, remember when we said that the shorts need to have the title in both the description and the title repeated because I heard about this thing. It's just, it, it gives the team more ways to help and we encourage asking help. And that's what our virtual office allows. You walk over to desks all the time. Wow. So that's the, there's a, a when you talk about virtual office for normal work, Mm -hmm. days or even the interviewing that that there's a certain tech platform you're yeah. using for that it's called gather.town and it's free for the first 10 people and then you pay virtual rent and we've paid virtual rent because our team is so large um and i will say that like the free tool is incredible everyone sits at their desk you just have it open in another tab and then i can walk over to your desk ring the bell um and then we can start a conversation it's helped us eliminate slack like i don't even have slack on my phone anymore 
And Slack is such like an interrupted place. It's the worst for documenting anything. We use it for like celebrating the failures. But if you're talking about a task or you're trying to keep track of different conversations, people can be in Slack for two hours versus this was a five minute conversation. Let me walk over to your desk again to assimilate what we could in the in-person world virtually. Um, but I will say gather.town, um, really great tool. I couldn't believe how much our team adopted to it. Like everyone decorated their own desks. I'm like a minimalist to the online space. I had um, someone on the team decorate the desk for me, but like the whole office right now is decorated for the fall. There are pumpkins everywhere. People leave Valentine's notes during the holidays. And so it's just all those warm and fuzzies that you get that in a lot of virtual teams is totally absent. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, so, Lauren, you describe Mongoose Media as um, the only advertising hospital. That's trademark. Mm. So, yeah, the TM. Um, think of like healthcare analogies. Are, are people coming to you with marketing pain, whether that's caused by mistakes? Um, like, I'm curious, like, do, do you go through a process of diagnosis and or maybe there's some pain relief and then some treatment and some education? Yeah, we have full on marketing rehab to marketing like reconstructive surgery. So like we'll have people that are just like bleeding out, right? A lot of ad accounts will come to us like I am just bleeding out. Like I need I need to like burn the end and stop this or I'm going to die. Like their small business is going to come out. Um, and then we do have others that have a really strong offer um, that has traditionally or in the past done well on one channel and they're looking to expand or they're looking to flex their budget a little bit more. So we'll do these kind of like marketing rehab, like we're going to strengthen the muscle so that you can lift more weight with the current ad spend campaign. And then like the reconstructive surgeries, we're like, what happened with this branding? This is no obvious audience. This isn't a sexy offer. Like we need to, we need to go in and it's going to be six months of like bruised noses, like marks all over your face. You're going to come out and be your brand 2.0. So when you talk about the need for marketing rehab, I mean, are, are there times where let's say a CEO or a chief marketing officer comes to you and they're like, look, we, we need help. But then are there, you know, if there's people on their team who are in denial about the need for rehab, like, do you need to do an inter, uh, an intervention or do, do you, do you ever have to convince people you mm-hmm. might be making some mistakes? There might be some things that you can actually touch up. Um, I think a lot of the time, the best language is like that really worked before the pandemic or that really worked during the pandemic. And those are atypical experiences like during the pandemic. Um, and then in this like new post COVID reality of what's available in the marketing um, solutions, uh, laws have significantly changed. And it's just that, you know, it's not that they're necessarily wrong. It's just it's become antiquated. And it's not necessarily optimized. And we will have that friction often with the sales team um, because marketing and sales by nature will clash. Marketing will say you're not contacting the leads. Sales will say these aren't good leads. Um, You know, everyone wants to defer blame. But I think where a lot of that will go in is, at least for our approach, when someone hires us as their agency, like we don't take clients that want a variety of services for anything less than a year contract. Like we don't want brands that are looking to do like something for 90 days, six months, like a year is too short. We're looking for like multi-year engagements because when you think about rehab, if you've been in a major car accident, you're not going to be able to walk immediately 
within a month. Like you might be in the hospital for six months rehabilitating, and then you're still on a crutch for another six months. Um, So what will come in is like, we're by no means trying to replace any type of work. What we're looking for is the immediate atypical growth. What levers can we pull from, you know, we work with clients that are spending, you know, millions of dollars a month in ads. What can we leverage from what's working from them and apply it to your business so that we can have that atypical growth? Because we do have a six-month opt-out and we don't want you to be in a six-month opt-out. So we want to generate the most amount of impact immediately. And so um, when people come on to our engagements, it's kind of like, well, are you going to replace my job? It's like, no, we're just going to 10x it. Like what you're already doing, you just need to be aware of like, this can put you into potential meta jail. This can expose you to a really big lawsuit or, hey, you have a chatbot on your website right now. Like it's akin to wiretapping. So if you have a chatbot, like let's explore and make sure that we have pieces in place so that you're collecting the data appropriately. You're leveraging the data you're collecting because a lot of it is just like you're sitting on all this gold. What you're doing is great, but 10% more can make um, you can go from a five figure month to a six figure month with minimal changes in your business. Um, so one other phrase and, and I guess informal title, maybe a fun title. So there, you know, there, there's first off the healthcare analogy, but then yeah. there's there's this other phrase, the destruction queen. <laughs> tell, tell us about why you embrace that. What, what, what does that mean? What does that mean to you and, and to your clients? Um, for the most part, in the simplest of terms, like I will tell someone their baby is ugly. I'm not at all the one who birthed this child. I am not the one that owns it, Um, but I'm the one that has like major campaigns. I've worked with like huge universities, the Walt Disney Company and other Fortune 500 brands, as well as small businesses that we've grown from, you know, six figures to eight figures in a few years. So I'll call it out. And like, I think a lot of that has just come from like, hey, you're paying me for my expertise, not for placating. And so, you know, I, I'm not, you're not going to like a lot of what I have to say. And it all comes down to two quintessential things. Do you have a sexy offer for an obvious audience? If those two things aren't true, you do not have a predictable, profitable business. So I'll go in and be like, hey, like you may tell me everyone loves my product. Everyone knows about my product. This is the bee's knees. And I'll just be honest. I've never heard about it before or nothing about your marketing says that it's very obvious. You have all people from different walks of life. Like who is your target customer? And I do it in a more aggressive way than I think a lot of my competitors. And it's just like, you know, we have to break things down so we can build up appropriately. And um, it's a fresh perspective because I think there happens to be a lot more placating and just saying like, you can do it. Let's make this. I'm like, no way. Like you just spent a hundred thousand dollars on this campaign. Like literally you said, this is for podcasters. There's not one single podcasting piece of equipment on any of your ads. Yeah. What? Yeah. So is there a kind of a, um, a filtering or is there, I mean, a process where in a way you're interviewing clients where you're giving (laughs) them some of this unvarnished feedback and if they don't like it, they can go find a placator as opposed to, you know, being happier working with you and your approach? Um, so like, I like to say, like, I'm always going to be like, be obnoxiously you because it comes back to sexy offer for an obvious audience. My obvious audience is someone that like is ready to vibe with the truth and the experience. 
So if that's, if that is off-putting and it can be, and that's totally fine. Like I'm, I'm really polarizing in this sense. Um, and that just makes it easier. I'm qualifying my leads and the relationship, because if that's something you're like, you know, I'm not ready for this, or we have, look, you can make the excuses. That's fine. But I'm still going to charge you. And I don't think it's in your best interest to pay me for our marketing efforts if you're just going to keep coming up with excuses. Like, I don't want to work with people that aren't looking for a multi-year engagement kind of situation, especially for the bigger capacity. Like, for when you hire us as an agency, you're getting my head and my team's hands. So we'll get in there. But like, my head isn't going to change and say like, okay, you don't want to change the homepage. This is getting 80% of your traffic. It's not converting at the moment. That's just irresponsible spending on your side. So I, I will put it to the to the like lead qualification of like, by not taking this, you're missing out on X amount of money. Like if you know that you can change this landing page, it should start generating $10,000 a month. Your delay is costing you $300 to $500 a day. If that's something that's not important to you, then you don't have an urgent need to hire us. Filtering and qualification, yeah, yeah, can be, can be really helpful. Um, you know, in your bio, there's a lot of fun things in the bio. You know, you you use the word obnoxious and like we're having a fun conversation. I don't, you're, you're, <laughs> you're not being obnoxious. You're not up to me. You're not you're not being obnoxious, but you're not pushing me on on some of my marketing <laughs> problems and. You know, uh, but but the other fun thing in your bio, I just want to hear kind of the story, you know, behind this dare to be vulgar, refuse to be boring. Yeah. Boring stuff doesn't get noticed. It's a very saturated market. Like you have to break above the noise. A lot of people will come to us specifically for interruptive marketing techniques. So things in social media, you don't have inbound people that are like actively looking for a pen with a comfortable grip right? We're getting in front of individuals, presenting them with a sexy offer. And because they're the obvious audience, they're going to want to raise their hands and engage further. If you refuse to be boring, you have the opportunity to interrupt. We live in a community where, um, yes, everyone talks about this gnat personality, like, oh, we change our attention every five seconds, right? The attention span of a gnat. But like, I contradict that because we also live in a binge consumption society where people will watch 31 hours of Netflix a week. They'll watch six seasons of the same show in a matter of a few weeks. We want to consume. Even if you're podcasting, like you'll have the podcast on back and forth. People will listen to two hours of a Joe Rogan contest, a Joe Rogan podcast. We're not in a attention economy where you have not attention span. We're in a, you have to design for second zero. And you have to sustain their attention for five seconds, because if you can hook them in, you may have them for life. So I think like, if you refuse to be boring, you have the opportunity to capitalize on an area that most people aren't doing well. When people are like, oh, it's like Red Ocean on Facebook, or it's Red Ocean on Google, it's so expensive for certain keywords. Again, I refute that because um, it's a blue ocean. And I got this from Roberto Blake. If you can show up on these four things, It's a blue ocean because no one else is doing it, or at least not enough of a competition to really say red ocean. And it's as long as you provide high quality, high value, high consistency, and high effort, you will win. Well, thank you for not being boring. You you didn't (laughs) choose to be vulgar to where I need to mark the episode with the explicit (laughs) or bleeping something out would would take some work. But maybe one other question for you, Lauren, Um, whether it's bots or otherwise, you know, as, as AI is getting incorporated in, into work in different ways. 
Like, what, what are some of the new mistakes that people might make incorporating AI mm. in marketing or advertising? Great question. Um, for us, at least, we've been using AI for like several years. And so when ChatGPT blew up, we're like, great, welcome to the new world. Like, where have you been? Um, but I think a lot of people use AI as like a shiny object. And they weren't thinking of AI as incorporation, but they were thinking AI as replacement. We've been able to 10x our productivity rate. We've been able to 400x um, our team's return rate for some of our other projects. Like 400x investment with the AI tools that we incorporate um, has had a significant impact in our business. But where people are making mistakes is they're assuming AI is perfect. It's the worst it's ever going to be from this day forward. Every day it gets better. Um, but when you can interweave AI, you can go from just a good marketer to an incredible marketer. Um, so if you are going to lean on only AI, you're going to be boring and you're going to be the same as everyone else. If you can interweave AI, like a recipe or the way I describe it is like Legos, you can use AI to build a castle that is an awesome place that to, to interact with. Or you can just build the same set that everyone else is creating because you bought the Legos that you don't have any imagination. And like that's going to work a little bit, but not long term. It's not going to build the habits you need. So you want to layer AI in to make your processes better. And like if someone's using blogs, like we've grown websites to over 100,000 organic visitors a month using blogs with AI. Like we totally have an SOP on that. Like just send me a message on mongoosemedia.us. We'll give you our SOP. It's like 25 pages. Um, but I would say like incorporating it as one. A second mistake is that like people aren't using AI as a webhook. So they're limiting AI to just, it can create an image or can create a piece of content. The mistake is that like AI can be a lot more powerful in terms of uh, using like their open AI tool so that you can have it expand into businesses so that you can build thoughtful marketing campaigns. Um, in a way, I, just, I think people are honestly like they're kindergartners um, and this is collegiate level stuff and they're expecting to only attend a nap class and become experts. Like it, it's a tool. You need to learn it like you learned Adobe or Meta ads or the Google ads network. Um, and then the third thing I would say is just on the legal standpoint, like you can't assume that you own everything created with AI. You have to have a human intervention. There was a, and I'm not a lawyer, um, but uh, Sid Mobley is a great lawyer who's, who's really following all the stuff related to AI. Um, she's been presenting stuff that like this most recent artist lost all IP rights for creating an image with mid journey, doing a little bit of Photoshop to it. She doesn't own it anymore. Like there's because there wasn't enough intervention, correct? Human, not enough human hand involved. Yeah, AI is not considered a tool. Midjourney specifically is not a tool. So anything that you're using with AI to best protect your assets or stuff you're making for clients, you need to have the human interaction or intervention piece so that it's a unique created piece of work. Wow! Thanks for all those tips and and. We can try to help people avoid some mistakes, but otherwise follow Lauren's lead and learning from <laughs> those mistakes. I really appreciate you sharing all of that today. So again, we've been joined by Lauren Petrullo. Um, she has started companies, including Mongoose Media. And then uh, as we wrap up here, there's uh, a 20% discount code available uh, yeah. for you at 
asianbeautyessentials.com. Use the code mistakes at checkout. Tell us real quickly you know, about that company. Is that a company that's a, a, a way for you to practice and use your own marketing mm. methodologies or is there a different origin story to that? Uh, great. Well, there's the fun origin story to it, but like at the Essential, we're an advertising hospital. It's our in-house residency program. We don't put any PAC members on client work until they've proven process in one of our internal companies. So we have quite a few. And so that just becomes the, the working ground of everything. Um, and, you know, it's, it's where we make the most mistakes. And, you know, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of like Korean, Japanese skincare and beauty products. So for those that are listening that like make the mistake of not washing your face at least once a day, like we got you. There's a lot of great stuff we can help you with. Okay. So it's, it's beauty essentials from Asia. Don't make the mistake of thinking they're beauty essentials only for Asian customers. Correct. 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 Actually, the large majority of our um, customers are uh, women of color that spanned from like ivory through ebony, the full range of individuals. Well, good. Something for everybody. Everyone's welcome at AsianBeautyEssentials.com. Lauren, it's been great welcoming you here to the podcast. Um, thank you so much for for sharing not just your your favorite mistake story and your learning, but you know it's great to hear about what you're doing as a leader and building the mm. culture. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Well, thanks, Mark. I had a lot of fun. Well, good. We we aim to do that, right? We were going to have a fun yeah. time. I think we did. I mean, at work, we always say like work doesn't like work isn't always fun. We know this, but it doesn't always have to be boring. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks again for not being boring. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again to Lauren for being our guest. To learn more about her and Mongoose Media, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 245. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.